Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. Okay, let's dive into today's message. We are looking at how to find joy. And for many of us, that is a challenge because as we've been going on this journey, we're learning that joy comes not from our circumstances, but it comes from a choice that we make. And we're saying some bold things because we're listening to a man named Paul. He's an author of a letter that writes about how to find joy. And he's going to tell us over and over in this letter to his original audience, be joyful, rejoice, find joy. And that could seem like sugary sweet information if we're not careful. We have to realize again, he's writing from a prison. So my thesis for today is that Christians ought to be the most joyous people in the world. That those that follow Jesus ought to be the most joyous people in the world. Not because they have the best circumstances. Not because they're in the best situations. Not because life is easiest for them. Every now and then, we'll, you'll hear messages that start to think, if you follow Jesus, everything gets easier and better and more comfortable. You need to understand that is a message that does not come from any of the documents in the New Testament. That does not come from what the gospel message is in all the writings that we have. Now, it's nice. I wish it was that way. But you know... And I've encountered numerous followers of Jesus that if you just surveyed their life on the surface, it's a difficult life. And yet, there's also some that you know that even though you see their circumstances and you see the struggles and you see the challenges, there's something about them that as you've interacted with them or as you've thought after you've walked away from a conversation with them, What do they have? What's going on on the inside? Because I can look at the outside and there's nothing easy about it. But there's something different. There's, There's a source of a peace and a joy that they have that I look at and I go, I wish I could tap into. And so we're gonna dive in with, once again, our author, Paul, And in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to work our way through this chapter. That's the reason I want your Bibles open, your scripture journals open, because I'm going to give you some chance to take some notes here, because we're going to take, in the short amount of time that we have, I'm going to try to move through a chapter in your Bible. And it's one that may not get preached as much as other parts of this particular letter of Philippians, but I think there's some incredible stuff for it. Paul begins with this unbelievable statement in chapter 3, verse 1, and look at it together with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm going to put that particular statement in the context of that's easier said than done. Because it would be nice for me to come in and just give a sermon that says, hey, what you really need to do is you need to rejoice in the Lord. Because that sounds like something a preacher should say, right? And then we can all nod our heads and we can go and hit the restaurants or whatever. But what does Paul mean by that? 
Because remember, Paul is writing to a church that he loves and he's trying to help them. And so Paul is going to spend the rest of this chapter. Now, it wasn't broken into chapters, but the next couple of paragraphs, Paul's going to be writing and he's going to unpack what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord. And that's what we're going to explore today on how to find joy. And so if you have your, your scriptures with you again, we're going to pick it up in verse 2. I'm going to read from verse 2 through, uh, through to 7. Okay, verse 2 through to 7. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And if it sounds like Paul's bragging, it's because he's about to let you know where he could find his confidence. Okay? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, and don't miss this word, blameless. Now, there's a lot of things that I'd want to claim about myself. And there's a lot of times in my life that I've wanted to start getting on a little bit of my own soapbox and let me be my own self-promoter. I've never had the guts to say, you know what, ultimately, and when it's all said and done, I'm pretty blameless. You know, I'm, I'm pretty near perfect. Now, let's understand what Paul's doing here. Because this sounds like a strange you know, 90 degree turn from where he was. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he shifts gears and he says, now, if you want to find some confidence in something, you want to find confidence in yourself, let me tell you what that looks like. And Paul, as a Jewish teacher, as a person that's grown up in the Jewish faith, he knows all the buttons to push right now. And so what Paul does is he gives us a spiritual resume and he's saying, you think you've got some confidence? Let me tell you why I have confidence. And if we were keeping sports stats, or you were looking at, at a CEO track record, or you were just trying to observe what, what's his record you know, that we have that we can look at and can we compare him to somebody else in the same league or the same, same effort, Paul's going to win it hands down every single time. He was circumcised on the right day. He's part of the people of Israel. He comes from the right tribe. So what he says is, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of first among all equals. It's all about me. As to the law, I was a Pharisee, which means he was very conservative. He, he was very traditional and fundamental in his approach to the law. As to a zeal, a persecutor of the church. You wonder about my passion? I used to walk around and hunt down the church. Anybody else got more passion than me about trying to be the, the good Jewish person that I felt like I was called to be? And then he lands the last line, as to righteousness under the law, he's blameless. What is Paul doing here? 
Paul is addressing the temptation that even you and I struggle with and the people that were listening to his letter in the very first reading, they struggle with. It is the ongoing temptation to keep trusting and finding hope in what I can do. And this is a message that is for every one of us that have spent any time in the church following Jesus. Because we wrestle with this one. In fact, there may be a particular challenge to those of us, if you've ever heard the phrase, I've grown up in the church. This may be acutely um, difficult for us because it seems that the longer we're around, the more we start trusting in our own righteousness. I think there's something inherently wired perhaps into us as human is to start thinking, maybe if I work hard enough, if I keep my nose clean enough, if I do all the right acts, I can somehow have my own righteousness. And it starts to seep into our thinking. And suddenly, church becomes the place where we come together, not as a broken person seeking healing, but as kind of a checkup to make sure we're maintaining a certain level of goodness. Not to worship Jesus, to do a double check and make sure that we've kind of keeping the house in order. And so here's, I'm going to give you a couple of joy killers today. So here's joy killer number one, trusting how good you are. If you choose to try to go through life trusting and banking your future, your hope, and your salvation on how good you are on your spiritual resume, it will rob you of your joy. Because there may be a season of your life that you think you've got that all together. There may be a time in your life where you think, I've got this, it, everything's pointed in the right direction, I am able to be good, but there is coming a moment when the wheels come off because you cannot maintain that. This is not a gospel of do more and try harder. You see, we think that's the message of church most of the time. I go to church because I need to learn to do more and I need to learn to try harder at this thing called being a Christian. Now, Paul's going to call us to some stuff here. But Paul is telling us that if that's where your hope is, if you look around, you go, I think I'm doing pretty good. Kind of better than so-and-so. And you look the other way and I'm better than so-and-so. And I kind of got it between the lines right now. Paul's saying, that's a false hope. And at some point, that's going to go off the road. And at some point, you're not going to find joy in there because what it's going to lead to is going to lead to a cynicism. Because you feel like you're trying harder and trying harder and trying harder and doing more and doing more. Because the object is that we've got to somehow please God. That somehow we've got to make him happy if he's going to accept us. And if you compare world religions, Christianity is the only religion where God moves our direction because he knows there's no way we're going to be able to cover the gap between us and him. It's unique in that. So Paul goes on. So after he says, I've got all the reason to have confidence, watch what he does here. He says, to all of you that think you've got it together, I've got it together more. And then he makes a turn. 
But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. And you're going to see a counting language in here. It says, whatever was on one side of the ledger that I thought was all to my benefit, it washes out. No impact. I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Circle the word rubbish for me, please. Because I want you to understand that word. Paul is saying, I look back and all the goodness that I have, all the goodness that I built, I count it as rubbish. The word that he uses there is the word for excrement. Okay? What you need to understand is the word that Paul uses here to get the real flavor of it, I can't say it from the pulpit. I get some emails. Do you understand? Paul looks at his past. He says, my goodness, my confidence, it's excrement. That's the level that it attains compared to in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what he does? He says, I don't find any confidence in how good I am, but Jesus. And he's going to say the, the name of Christ or Jesus nine times in these 21 verses. He is obsessed with Jesus. He says, all the hope that I have is not by found in trusting in my goodness, but here's your joy filler versus your joy killer, trusting how good Jesus is. Because there in Jesus you have an unquenchable, an unending source to fulfill and find hope. And so Paul says, yeah, I look at my resume, but it brings me no joy. But I look to the cross and I look to the person that hung there that that lived the perfect life that was holy in every aspect, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and I looked at he laid down his life for me even when I did not deserve it. And there I find hope. And Paul goes on to describe, it's not just any hope, it's a hope in the fact that he went to the cross, faced death, was put in the tomb, and three days later he walked out of the tomb because of resurrection and he, we serve a living Jesus. And he says, when Jesus was at its wor- when it was at its worst, and Jesus was in the tomb, and it seemed the darkest, we had hope right around the corner because the resurrection was on the way. He says, now there, there's the source of hope that you have. All of my past is counted as a loss, but I'm going to trust in how good Jesus. Is 
And somewhere along the way, the temptation is for the church to gather together and somehow we want to pat ourselves on the back on how good each of us are. But this is Jesus' church. And what we believe is that he was God, was the same as God and became a man, came our direction, lived a perfect life loving others on this earth, even with all the dirty humanity that he could possibly encounter, to the point where he was hated by the Jewish leaders and despised by Rome. And together, those two groups conspired together and they formed an execution squad. And to sacrifice himself for my sin and for your sin He allowed the unbelievable and the unthankful to happen. And God hung on a cross and gave his life to be buried into the tomb and face death only to rise again. And Paul says, that's what you trust. Now, I know for many of us, you go, well, that's very basic, Scott. But what Paul's going to tell us is that's everything there is. That's the hope. Verse 12. Paul takes it forward this way. Talking about this this prize that he's working toward. Not that I've already obtained this or that I am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If any of us are mature, think this way. So this may sound like basics, but Paul's saying, no, this is the thought process of a mature person in Jesus. No longer trusting my goodness, but trusting his and his only. And Paul gives this incredible piece of advice, this incredible strategy. He says, I have forgotten what's behind. And I'm going to push forward. So there's another joy killer. And it's this. It's a joy killer when you focus on your past. And for some of you, you have a past like Paul. You've got a respectable past. And Paul would say, but if you focus on that and it becomes about defending your past or finding your confidence in your past, there's no joy to be found there. For some of you, it's the the complete opposite. You've got a past that you're ashamed of. You've got seasons and events and decisions and brokenness in your past. And yet Satan's still going to come along and he's going to whisper in your ear, you don't deserve grace. And you may show up at a church like this and you hear a message where you think, I don't deserve grace. And somebody else may come along beside you and they may look at you and say, you don't deserve grace. And you know what? They're absolutely right. You don't deserve grace. That's what grace is. See, Paul's saying, if you deserved it, it's not grace. If somehow you're able to earn it, it's not grace. 
And so, whether for good reasons or for bad reasons, we've got a past we're proud of or a past we're ashamed of. Paul says, if you keep looking towards your past for your hope or you look towards your past and you realize, I think I'm too far gone. Paul says, that's gonna kill your joy. And Paul's gonna flip that on us too. So here's the joy filler. Focus on your future in Jesus. You see what Paul's describing here? I wanna participate in his life, including his sufferings, participate in his death. This idea of being baptized into that, being connected with him so that I will also experience a resurrection. That's just not metaphorical language. What the Bible promises, there is a resurrection coming at the end. When Jesus returns, all the followers in Jesus will be resurrected. And so like Jesus, we will experience the tomb for a short time. For a brief time. The tomb for the believer is not permanent. And so what Paul is saying is focus on that because whatever you face, whatever joy killer you're staring down right now, because of a diagnosis, because of a disease, because of a disappointment, because of a desertion, whatever it is you face, there's a resurrection in your future. And the promise is that all the sad things will be undone. And they don't have the last word. This is what Paul says. Focus on the prize ahead. Not your goodness, because that is far too small of a thing to trust in. But on the goodness of Jesus, because that's the unending thing that you can trust in. That will never fail. And a resurrection that's coming that says even death, that's just temporary. Death doesn't have the last word. The disease doesn't have the last word. The disappointment doesn't have the last word. Your past doesn't have the last word. Eyes forward, focused on the one that's already walked out of the grave. And there's joy to be found. Let me pray for us. Father, I'll confess that too often I want to trust myself. And I want to trust what I can do and what I can accomplish and what I can get done. And Father, at times I deceive myself into thinking, I've done a lot. So I pray a prayer of confession that you would um, remove that from me and take it from any of us that find pride in ourselves. Father, I also pray for the one that feels like their past is too far broken and perhaps is even out of your reach. So Father, I pray that this concept, this truth, that you were able to reach into a sealed tomb into the grave and resurrect Jesus that we would find hope there. Father, may you bring us joy, a joy not sourced in our own hands, 
but a joy sourced in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And may you silence the whisper of the accuser and the evil one that wants to remind us of all that's in our past that's so unworthy. And let us simply hear your voice calling us from your love and your grace. I ask all this in the name of the one that we have hope and we have joy, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.